Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. It can be found on page 151 of your Immersed Reading Bibles. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David the story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guests. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give, you, give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Well, good morning. Glad to see you here in worship with us today. If you're here in person, if you're online, we're glad you're joining us um, as, as well this morning. Today we are continuing a sermon series that we kicked off Uh, just after Labor Day, as we're working our way through a section of the Bible, which is called the Kingdoms section. The Kingdoms section uh, are the books of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, and 1 and 2 Kings. And the section that uh, Tyler just read is a portion of the readings that are coming up for this week, the story about when Nathan confronts David. Now, just a little bit of a review for you. Uh, what we did last week, if you weren't with us, uh, we looked at the beginning of, of David's life. The first time we are introduced to David in the scriptures is uh, when he is anointed the king, the next king of Israel. What's happened is Saul was the first king, um, and Saul has disobeyed God. He's revealed against God. God's had enough. God withdraws his blessing from Saul. And then uh, God speaks to the prophet Samuel and says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse, and there you're going to anoint the new king. But but God doesn't tell Samuel which of Jesse's sons it's going to be. Remember the story? So, so Saul gets, Samuel gets to, to uh, Jesse's house. Jesse brings out his sons, starting at the oldest, one after another. And, and Samuel keeps thinking, well, this is the one. And God says, no, not this one. This is the one. No, not this one. And so finally God says to Samuel in a very important verse in the scriptures to give us the heart of God and what God looks at, what's most important to God. God says to Samuel, for I do not judge as human beings do. I do not look at the outside appearance, but I look at the inside. I look at the, at the heart. 
So David is anointed the next king of, of Israel. And we're actually told in another part of the scripture that David was considered a man after God's own heart, that God himself said, David is a man after my own heart, which is incredible compliment. I can't imagine anything better to be said about somebody than that they are a, a person, a man, a woman, a child after God's own heart. So how did David go from being called a man after God's own heart? How did he end up in the situation they did here in Second Samuel 12, where he's confronted by the prophet Nathan? How did he go from great victories, military victories, being adored by the masses, um, very successful leader, all the nations feared him, uh, any woman he wanted he could have, huge family. How did he go from that to what we find in Second Samuel chapter 12? Well, he lost his way. And it didn't just happen overnight. People just don't fall from, from a place of authority or, or moral uh, platform. They don't fall just overnight. It wasn't just a spur-of-the-moment decision that he made. Uh, something had been happening in his life and his heart over time. And to give you a sense of what that was, let's take a look just the chapter earlier in Second Samuel, Samuel chapter 11, where we read this. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. So there's a couple of hints there for us, a couple of clues. It says, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David didn't normally, he didn't go out this year. Why was that? Why did he decide to stay behind in Jerusalem? Well, we see this sort of thing happen all the time, don't we? A, a, a man or a woman, they, they, they work hard, they're elevated to high place, they succeed, um, everything's coming to them at the height of their powers and their skills, success, and you begin to coast. You begin to ease off. You begin to indulge a little bit, cut some corners. You know, I, I've worked hard. I've, I've, I've worked hard. I, I've sacrificed. I, I deserve this. I, you know, I'm, I'm the king. Why, why can't I have this? And so David began to kind of hit this midlife crisis. He begins to abdicate his responsibilities. He doesn't go out in the spring like the other kings do to lead and to accept the example, to, to set vision. And we find what happens next. All the seeds have, are starting to take root in his life. And they begin to reveal it to themselves in the next line. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Okay, he could have stopped here. He could have looked away. He had an opening to avert his eyes. He hadn't done anything wrong to this point regarding Bathsheba, but he doesn't. He sent someone out to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. 
He could have stopped now. He, has, he knows who she is. He could have stopped. He doesn't. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Uh-oh. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. So David has really messed things up here. <laughs> and uh, he again has a chance to, to stop, to set things right. He was a king after all. He could have said, hey, I blew it. I indulged myself. And what are the people going to do? He would have remained in power. But he doesn't. He decides to save his reputation, to cover things up. And so he comes up with this plan. He thinks, I'm the king. I'm going to call her husband home. Um, you know, he'll, and, and, and say, that's what he does. And he sends him home to his wife. And he says, realize says, I can't do this. I, I'm, I, I can't, why should I enjoy the, the pleasures of my wife when my men are on the front line, sleeping out in the cold, in the fields, facing death? I won't do it. He's a man of honor. So, so David comes to Uriah again the next night, and he tries. He plies him with drink, tries to get him drunk. So he'll just kind of stumble into it. But Uriah, again, won't do it. He's a man of honor. What, what does David do then? Is this a wake-up call? Hey, how far have I fallen? This is who I used to be. I used to be like Uriah. No, he doesn't. He arranges for the murder of Bathsheba's husband. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. I mean, how far has he fallen? And, and then this happens. Uriah, sure enough, it happens as David thought it would. Uriah is killed. They send a messenger back to David. Hey, this is, here's the reports from the front lines. Oh, by the way, Uriah, you know, Uriah, that great guy, that honorable man, he's been killed. And David responds with, oh, don't be discouraged. These things happen in battle. He thinks he's got away with it. And then we pick it up. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And when the period of mourning was over, you've got to consider appearances, David sent for her and brought her to the palace. And she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. And then God, in his great and severe mercy, sends Nathan the prophet to David. That's where we picked it up, the story, when Tyler read it. And Nathan comes to David, and David, of course, has no idea what's coming. And so Nathan sets a trap. He tells this, this moving parable, this story, about a rich man who exploits a poor man and takes what's most precious to him and takes it away from him. And David is angry. He's furious. And he says, this is horrible. This should not be. This man deserves death. Nathan sprung his trap. And then Nathan says, you're the man. Now at this point, finally David comes to his senses. I mean, he was the king. He could have had Nathan's head cut off. He could have said, okay, it was me, but what of it? 
He could have made excuses, all sorts of things he could have said, but he, he doesn't. What does he do? He comes clean. He takes responsibility. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, one of the things that uh, always kind of irritates me when, you know, you see this in the news or a CEO of a company or or uh, an important person, a politician or, or, or somebody who's in the news all the time. They, they make a mistake. They say something. They tweet something. They do something wrong. Something comes to light. What is their typical response? They bring in the spin doctors. They craft a statement that sounds like it was written by a lawyer or a PR firm. They want to protect against liability. They want to protect their reputation. They want to put themselves in the best light. They say things like, well, that was just a moral lapse. That's not who I am. That's not what I do. If I offended you, I'm sorry. You can trust me. This won't happen again. They spin. But David doesn't do this. He doesn't spin. He doesn't qualify his confession. He doesn't couch his apology. He takes full responsibility. He owns it. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. And in that admission, he opens the door to restoration and to forgiveness and to new beginnings. Now, we, in the rest of the story, we don't know exactly what David was feeling, what was thinking. I mean, obviously, he was heartbroken. He suffers the consequences of his decisions. I mean, God forgives him, but he still has consequences. His house is, is, is divided. His sons rebel, rebel against him. Uh, the, the child of, of the adulterous affair dies. He doesn't complain. He takes responsibility. And he moves forward. And we get a a very clear insight into into his feelings and how he responds by a psalm that he wrote, Psalm 51. It's a powerful psalm, a beautiful psalm. And we know it's talking about this instance because it says there right at the top. A lot of his psalms, they'll be written as a psalm for worship or whatever. But this one's very clear what the context is. It says, for the director of worship... So this is going to be used in public worship. His confession and everything that he's done is going to be used in public worship. The people of Israel, they're going to connect the dots. So he doesn't just confess privately to Nathan. He confesses publicly before the people and before God. And it goes on to say, for the director of worship written by David when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and was confronted by Nathan. So let's pick it up and listen to this psalm and see how he responds and the example that we have for ourselves when we, when we mess things up. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Doesn't rationalize, doesn't make excuses. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Cleanse me, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. 
Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. So he's taking ownership. He's throwing himself on God's mercy. But he's not presumptuous. And then he says this. I love this part. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You know, back when I was in high school, I had a, a friend of mine and um, we, we got along pretty well. There were moments when we had our, our, our struggles, but we were pretty close. And, and there was a time in high school when, to my shame, I, I did something to him and it hurt him. And there was no way around it. I couldn't, I couldn't apologize. I mean, I, I could apologize. I couldn't make excuses. I couldn't explain it. It was just, I knew it was wrong. I did it. He knew it was wrong. He knew I did it. I said it. And it was horrible. It weighed on me for a couple of days. I wasn't sure how to approach him. I wasn't sure what to say. I was so embarrassed and so ashamed. And, and so finally, I, I, just, I just went to him because I couldn't take it anymore. It was just weighing me down, the guilt and the, the burden that I was feeling. And I, and I went to him and I, I apologized. I took ownership. And he forgave me. And, and, and we shook hands. We kind of gave each other the kind of the, the bro hug, you know. And, 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 we, and we were good. And, and he never brought up again. And, 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 we, and it was fine. You know, when we, when we come to the Lord and we, and we take full responsibility and ownership, there, there's, there's a joy and a freedom that happens. Like when, the, when that burden was lifted off of me when I went to my friend and confessed. When, when we come to the Lord, and it, it's not just forgiveness, but it's also, it's also restoration. It's, it's joy and it's, and it's freedom. We don't have to be drugged down by our guilt or our shame in, anymore. We, we can move forward in, in newness of life. And that's what Jesus came to make available for us and, and, and do for us as well. And, and when we do that, it's, 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 a, it's a great gift. It's incredible joy to, to be able to do that. Now, I'm guessing this morning that there are things that each one of us have done or said or thought that we've kind of carried around. They're kind of in the backpack, the invisible backpack that we carry our stuff in. And it might be something that's been weighing you down and you've been thinking about for a very long time. And you, and you know, technically, you know, yeah, I'm forgiven or, I, I, you, know, you know, they're okay, but, but it just kind of weighs you down. You can't release it. Or maybe it's something that you've done recently, this past week, or maybe even last night, or maybe even this morning, and, and you feel guilty about it. You feel bad about it. We have a God who forgives we have a God who is gracious and compassionate, full of mercy. We have a God of second and third and fourth chances. We have a God who will not only forgive us, but restores us to a place of joy and freedom. David understood this. And because he did, he was forgiven and experienced joy. And God gave him a new heart, which is what God offers to each one of us. So I encourage you this morning, whatever might be dragging you down or weighing you down, take it to God, take ownership, and then release it to him.
Because as David wrote, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your love and your mercy. And we thank you for David's life, recorded in all of its triumphs and glory, but also recorded in his sin and his downfall. Lord, we we thank you as well that... Uh, that David was a man after your own heart. He was not perfect, clearly. But neither are any of us, Lord. Father, help us to learn from his example to come to you in humility, to take full ownership, to cast ourselves upon your grace, and to receive your mercy and help. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness. That you give us grace, something that we do not deserve. And you give us mercy by not giving us what we do deserve. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.